Hello and welcome to The Stack. On this week's show, a travel publication that wants to prove that the South Tyrol region is more than apples and cows. Plus photographer and designer Robert Spangle on his book about Afghan style. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show with a fascinating conversation I had with photographer and designer Robert Spangle. His new release, Afghan Style, is an ode to the style of Afghan men, who, according to Spangle, are the most stylish on earth. Previously, Spangle has also deployed to Afghanistan two times when he served as an U.S. Marine Corps. Let's hear more from Robert about the book and also his menswear brand, Observer Collection. Robert Spangle, a pleasure to have you here at Monaco 24 to talk about your wonderful book, I have to say, Afghan Style. And, you know, you said it, they are the most stylish men in the world. And now I tend to agree after looking at your book. But first of all, tell us about your, your relationship with Afghanistan, because, of course, I know you've been there twice for the book, but uh, tell us where did you get the inspiration from? It's, I guess it depends sort of how long you'd go back in my own life. I think my first comprehension of the country was probably nine years old, with the very famous Steve McCurry Afghan girl photo. But in a much broader sense, uh, the events of September 11th in 2001, I was uh, 12 or 13 at a time. And that kind of brought Afghanistan to the forefront of world news where it would stay up until this day. The first time I went to Afghanistan was as a Marine in 2009. And then again, in 2010, I left the Marine Corps in 2011 and I went very quickly into fashion and very far away from from conflict and from Afghanistan. But as time went on and I kind of studied fashion, so to speak, more and more, um, especially personal style around the world, the years were going by, but Afghanistan was, its hold on me was kind of growing disproportionately. I was thinking about the country all the time. So I think around 2020, not the best time to make plans, but around 2020, very beginning of the year, I decided I wanted to go back and see if I could do a sort of a style study of the country. Um, and that was, was very much personal interest because I had this, this personal relationship to the country that was quite conflicted and um, also very much from a, from a fashion perspective. Is there something about the stare? It was very interesting you mentioned there in the book because, of course, the clothes are amazing and I want to ask you more specifically about the clothes, but do you think that... that attitude like they literally look into your eyes do you think that helps when it comes to style and the way you present yourself as well oh absolutely i mean that's and that's something that interpersonal reaction which you, you see in quite a lot of the images is really rare and i've never seen that in another country where people would just turn to you with like total confidence and not put on a kind of like a practiced smile or try to present themselves in a certain way or try to present a certain attitude. It's just very, 
very self-assured and you talk to a few of these guys and you really got the impression that they believed that you had come from, you know, whatever far flung country you're from 3000, 5,000, 6,000 miles away expressly to photograph them. And I think it's, it's pride again. It's also the country has a really unique relationship with photographers, but yeah, I mean, without exception, these guys looked at you and they're just totally self-possessed and unflinching in front of a camera and to the point of almost not really being aware that you're there with the camera. They're just right there in front of you and uh, they don't shy away from it. Was it fairly straightforward? I mean, when you were taking pictures of Dan or, or you had to develop some sort of relationship with before or did you have any issues during the process of this photography because those men you know they're not models or, or you know that that's not uh, perhaps they're not used to it so i'm just curious about that side the behind the scenes yeah i mean each trip each trip sort of had its own its own unique set of challenges the, the first trip was under the government the second trip was under was after the, the taliban had taken power um so it was sort of different dynamics at play with each one but the thing that sort of made it easier or accessible each time is like afghans have a huge culture in hospitality so if you come to them and you're kind of ingratiated to them and there's that understanding of respect they're very accommodating and if you're going there especially in their law in their culture if you're going to them alone and you're um, you know alone and un unarmed they really can be nothing but welcoming to you. So that that helped in both trips. And then, you know, the, we said these guys, they're not models. They're definitely not models. But they also, they don't have the comprehension of like a camera and social media. And Some news. of them could be, by the way. Some of them could be models. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're a ruggedly handsome are ruggedly handsome people and, and they have real confidence in the camera because they're not really, they're not really aware of it and they're just so self-possessed so that that carried across both trips and it was just it was very easy to on one hand if you're photographing these guys and they're unaware they're in day-to-day -day life like they're very easy and self-possessed and then if you're interacting with these guys and and talking to them they're just um they're totally they're totally open to you and they don't have any insecurities Robert, let's talk about fashion. Some of the of some of the pieces that are very traditional for a menswear in Afghanistan. For example, sorry if I'm saying the name wrong, Parahan or Tumban, right? Tell us more about those pieces because basically they have some sort of a, a uniform. But you mentioned in the book that is, this is more cultural; it's not necessarily enforced. But that's that's kind of the tradition as well, right? Which is, I mean, that's what makes. You know, objectively, from a fashion perspective, that's one of the things that makes Afghanistan such an interesting place to do a study. Um, I can't really think of another country on earth where the conformity to cultural dress is like 99.9% there. Um, and this is this has been under the government and also now under the Taliban. It's the, almost the exact same amount of conformity. So they have the Pranotamban. Um, some people also call this a shawar kameez, but that's a little bit of a misnomer because the shawar kameez is a little bit more from, from Pakistan. And the interesting thing about the, the pranatamban, it's like, you know, in the West, we think of it as like a, a kind of oversized pajama top um, with side slit pockets. And then this really lousy kind of flowy, generally short cropped pant. Every man in Afghanistan wears a version of this and the different regions and the different subcultures and tribes within Afghanistan 
all have their own take on this. They have colors, different silhouettes, different textures, different levels of embroidery. And no matter where you go in the country, people are kind of expressing that in a different way. It's also incredibly pure because I would say about 70 or 80% of the clothing that's worn there is made locally by tailors, which again is something like you won't see. I can't think of another country on earth where that much of the clothing is is tailored. You know, you'd have to go back in time to find that. And even on a personal level, I have to say, when I was looking at some of the pictures, we saw some of those traditional uniforms, you said, but then you look at the shoes and it's trainers. But I have to say, it's such a, a lovely juxtaposition. I mean, and that's why I, I generally think it's current. And I generally think if I see someone dressed in a similar way in the streets of London, I'll be like, oh my God, I'm going to copy this guy in a way. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Sneakers are, that is, I think, the only segment of, you know, let's say like Western clothing that's gone over to Afghanistan. And part of that is I just think like sneakers work really well for them where previous Western shoes didn't. Some of that is mechanics. If you're taking your shoes off five times a day to pray and also every time you enter a home, it's much easier to take off a pair of trainers than it is to take off a pair of, you know, heavy boots or something like that. But the way you see young kids, and this is, this is across the country, pair their trainers with their prana tamban is incredible. I mean, the, the color coordination, the textures that they're playing off of is really, it's really advanced. And like, I would love to see that, you know, anywhere else on earth, but they even have a sort of subculture around the sneakers where we see quite a lot of ASICs in the country that are coming in secondhand but you almost never see Nikes and Nikes are very desirable there. The pair that I brought was Nikes and uh, a Nike collaboration with a, a brand called Acronym. And I had to stop wearing them because kids would come up to me on the street and try to trade me <laughs> because they had never, they'd never seen these before. So even places far moved to Afghanistan, there's still sneaker culture. And Robert, I know you also have a brand yourself by any chance, were you influenced a little bit about the Afghan style and some of the products and pieces of clothing and accessories that you make? Absolutely. I mean, I think you can't go into an environment like that and spend that much time there and not not come away with some kind of, of inspiration, um, especially when you're totally surrounded constantly by another another culture, like your brain is really working constantly and subconsciously to kind of absorb. So the silhouette, I really, I just, I love the Afghan silhouette. It's really, it's really cultivated. It's really easy. It makes sense in the environment and it has this kind of projection of ease. I hope I can put that in some clothing that I'm designing that's coming out. And then the demands of the environment are also there. I've tweaked a couple of the bags I've designed based off of those trips of, of needing to go from, you know, riding around in hectic couple on a bicycle and taking pictures rather covertly being very worried about security forces to then, you know, running into the countryside and having to deal with, um, but, you know, flash floods and things like that, you know, the stuff you, there's some things that you consciously absorb like colors and silhouettes. And there's some things that come out uh, unconsciously, but it's rewarding both photographically and also very much in terms of, creative drive as a designer. 
Well, you you are a busy man, Robert. Besides the book African Style, as I said, you have a, your own brand, Observer Collection, right? And also, tell us about you've also been doing other work. You you've been to Ukraine as well, right? Tell us a bit more about that. Right. So Afghanistan was my second or third piece that was sort of existed in a, a context of conflict, and I've done a, a few things after that. And the project, which you know, it took two years, made me think a lot more about my work and sort of what what I was interested in, where my passion lays now after doing about eight years in fashion. So I was following the Ukraine conflict as it was sort of building up to a potential invasion. And when that happened, I decided to go and I worked on a, a series of articles out there for Esquire covering the first three months of the invasion. And then I, I went back recently and spent most of December and, and Christmas there kind of following up with some of the, the same units that I had uh, embedded with originally. Oh, that's super interesting. And and by the way, I really like some of the products in your collection. There's a belt, uh, I think it's a kind of a cowboy belt. Maybe that's not so Af Afghan, but a beautiful, beautiful piece there as well. So where people... It actually is. I is it related to I, I almost I almost forgot about that because we just, uh -huh. um, that only just recently came out. But that actually, I don't know how I forgot that, but... That evolved from a story that I had in the Marine Corps, my first deployment. And there's a little bit of cross-cultural pollination there. So I had a, it was with a force reconnaissance unit and we were often referred to as, as cowboys just because of a kind of cavalier style we had and the uniforms we wore and the way we, we dressed. So there was this idea of sort of Afghan cowboys in my head from that period. And you were seeing that stage in the conflict, you were seeing some interesting things going on where the older generation of military guys were wearing, you know, big leather Western belts still. And the younger guys were wearing kind of technical ones like you see um, Alex or Prada putting out now. And I decided I wanted to make like a, a newer version of a cowboy belt. And so I started beautiful. working on that. You know, thank you. And I started working on that and we wound up in trying to use some kind of old cowboy boot styles of manufacturing that my friend um Zephan Parker is the master and we did the outline of the the mountains that you see all around Afghanistan um in hand stitching so you would get this kind of silhouette that anyone in Afghanistan is going to be familiar with because it's it's you see it in 360 degrees so we mix that with some hand embroidered or not embroidered uh hand tooled lilies and poppies and things like that and try to get a little bit of a, an intersection of these two histories and these two cultures. And Robert, take us, I mean, if, if our listeners, is in, they're interested to buy the book and perhaps, who knows, maybe buy about as well, where, where should they go to find out more? And, and do you sell besides your website other places around the world, in the US or in Europe? So for the books, we have a good amount of distributors in Europe, we've got Trunk in the UK. If you'd like to order the book, you can go to the Editions Odyssey, which is my publisher's website for Europe. That's the best place to order the book from. If you're in North America or the rest of the world, you can order it from my website, which is observercollection.com, which also has the belt and some other things I designed. Thank you very much, Robert. And his book, Afghan Style, is out now. 
And now we head to South Tyrol. Last year I spent a week on holiday in the region. And of course I had some drinks with Monaco's own Linda Egger. She's in charge of our shop in Murano. She put me in touch with one of Josef's co-founder, Kunigunde Weissnager. And I promised her we would do a stack interview on her beautiful travel uh, book, Josef, an incredible cool guide to South Tyrol. As they say, there's much more to the region than apples and cows. With special editions on Bolzano, Trento and Murano, it's a must-buy if you want to travel there. To tell us more about Josef, I spoke to Kunigund and Barbara Elias da Rocha, also responsible for the concept and creative direction for Josef. <music> Kunigunde Weissenegger and Barbara Elias da Rocha, and welcome to Monaco 24 to talk about something quite exciting. Um, you know, I had the pleasure to go to the region myself last year uh, to South Tyrol, but Josef, it's such a lovely kind of travel book selection. First of all, perhaps starting with you, Kunigund, tell us about the idea. Where, where did it came from? I mean, and are you also from the region, by the way? Yeah, for sure. I'm, uh, no, not for sure, but me, uh, I'm from the region. I'm from a small uh, village near Bolzano. If you um, are in uh, this region, I think I'm the, the mountain girl of the team or of the France crew, of our crew. It's not only Barbara and me, but we are like five, six. It depends on the, on the period, but many people who work on different projects and in the beginning, our motto is the, the more than apples and cows. So I was born in this region and I grew up with apples, cows and mountains and all these nice things for what uh, the region is known and in, in maybe internationally. But we want to talk also about other things in this region and explain or uh, tell uh, people who come here that this region not only consists in apples and cows, but in more than apples and cows. And this more is very important for us and for us, for the project, for the books, for the publishing house and also for, for every one of us personally. So we started yeah, more than 10 years ago with the online magazine where the magazine exists online also now, and uh, it's France Magazine. And in this magazine, we talk about people and uh, projects and interesting contemporary things that happen here in this region. And the, the magazine is for different reasons online, because we are always, since ever, we are addicted and we love paper mm. and magazines and books. So we decided or with... By the years it came and we had also the right person, the right team and the budget to publish is uh, the first guide about Bolzano. I was going to check in, but how did you get involved with the project as well? Because I know you're a fellow Brazilian, so it's interesting, perhaps a different look at the region too. Yes, I actually started working with Kunigunde Anna and uh, the other France crew, first with the magazine, the online magazine, the culture magazine. And I was at the beginning work more on the cultural projects, mainly offline that we used to do in the city. As Kuni said, with the magazine, there was this, we were always in contact with all these nice realities. And then we decided to start Josef also to put together all these findings that we gathered in the first beginning years of France magazine. 
how I actually met them. It was also in one of these events that they used to do called Rosengarten Party, which was a festival in one neighborhood here where our studio used to be. And I came across them and we get along and start doing this first France magazine and then Yosef. And Yosef started also because we were uh, like, you, you have to imagine we are, we were in this, in this uh, studio and um, working on different projects and, and then came people in and uh, friends and artists and cultural workers and neighbors, uh, or there is also already a good atmosphere of exchange of different, very different ideas, because we are, uh, the crew is composed by German-speaking, Italian-speaking, Brazilian-speaking, English-speaking people, not only born in South Tyrol, in this region, but also from outside. And I personally, but I think uh, also my colleagues love this atmosphere of, of also not, not always, sometimes also difficult situations, but or, or many discussions also. But this is the exchange. I think if you want to go forward, you have to discuss things and relate with people and exchange ideas. And there are many friends also one of the reasons I made this book, this Josef, was also because people were asking us, uh, because they knew that we are in this scene and we uh, were traveling around this region and discovering people, things, projects. And so the, the people, the person asked us, where can I go to eat in Meran? Or where can I go to buy a present for a good friend of mine in Brunico, in Brunek? Or what can I do in this valley, on this mountain? Or uh, where can I go with my guests of the past? Not uh, the, not always doing the same things. And so uh, we said, okay, we <laughs> now that we have these four books, we can give them the book and say, okay, read this, and then you know what to do. <laughs> you can uh, give it as a present to your friends. Also regarding to what I think, it's um, let's say. My point of view is what is nice about Josef is that while Kunigunde is a well, German uh, mother tongue and uh, Anna is uh, Italian and is from here, from Bozano, and I'm a foreigner from a big city, but I also live in small cities. It doesn't matter. So we all always have a different point of views. They know this land very well. I came with the curiosity of getting to know. I'm very curious. People have traveled a lot before coming here. I've lived in many places. And I think this is a, a good mix because each one of us has a, a different insight or and it complements each other. And, and sometimes, because I may be used to many things that for me are so uh, common or so normal, and sometimes I discovered that if Barbara, for example, appreciates a thing that for me is too normal, I, on the other side, I begin to think about it and then I can otherwise appreciate normal things. Or I don't know how to explain it better, but... Uh, things you take for granted because it's already here and you are living it in your everyday life. And for me, it's very new, no? Let's talk about the design as well, because, I mean, I fall in love as well, of course, with amazing content, but it looks amazing, you know, because it's quite tricky when you have to do in three languages, you know, it can be 
almost a nightmare to produce, but it looks so beautiful on page. Tell us a little bit about the design. I know there's a partnership with Franz Lab, which are also involved. If you can tell us a bit more about that, about the design and the format. I love the format. It's really easy to carry. Well, Franz Lab is the publishing house and it's like the mother of all the projects <laughs> that uh, we do. And it started already with Franz Magazine. For this project, we've worked with uh, Studio Mood, which is a local uh, design studio from Bozano, very well known. They are quite good in their field. They also have this style very, very colorful and very fun. So for us, it was kind of a almost natural choice to work with them. And it was good because we got along. The first book, they also did the illustrations, which was the one from Bozano. So they did the whole package, let's say, from the graphic and uh, design level. Of course, working with us because we, as you said, we have all these limitations about content, what we wanted to put. Also, photos, it's not so easy to work with photos we've had when you have so many much content. So they, they found a, a quite good solution for what we had in mind, but couldn't put on paper. And from the other ones, we always worked with different illustrator. And that's how we've been doing and we're going to keep doing. So we did on the second book, uh, Merano, with a German illustrator, Susan Stefanitzen. And then at Trento, we did uh, with an Italian studio, Collettivo Mare, that's based in Barcelona. And uh, the last one with illustration superstar Olympia Zagnoli that She's has great. done the Super Josef book. <laughs> so we're quite happy because they all very fresh, colorful, and for us very beautiful to see. Today we work uh, with uh, Studio Babai, which is the design studio that keeps working with the graphic design with us and preparing the, the editions and all the other maps that we have done because we have also these maps on the contemporary art, also sustainable fashion, and these we're collab collaborating with different people here. And the curious thing that you mentioned is you said three languages is difficult for, yeah, that's true, but for us, the reality. And so for us, there was no choice to not make it in three languages. But I understand you, uh, we understand you, uh, when you said, because we also talked to other publishers in the beginning, other, other, other publishing houses and experts from the scene. And they also said, now nah, you can't, this won't work. A book in three languages, in one book, this doesn't work. And also the, the illustration on the cover, Someone said to us, this wouldn't work. We have to put the region, South Tyrol, City Tyrol, as big as you can, and uh, a picture, a photo, not an illustration. We, uh, we believed in our idea, and now we are really uh, satisfied. And as you look around, uh, you can see more and more things going in this direction. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really amazing and satisfying to go on, to go further this way. And for people that haven't come across another thing that I like about it, I think there's quite a fun tone to it as well. It doesn't feel super traditional. I love at the end the frequently asked questions. Where can I buy condoms at 2 a.m.? Where can I get a machine-made pizza? I mean, I think, first of all, useful to know, but fun. You know, it doesn't take too seriously. And, and as you say, perhaps people have this image, oh, South Tyrol, mountains. But no, it's a place where you can go to a cool gallery, a nice restaurant as well. And I think that's what you both represent there, the magazine, right? 
Yeah, yeah, the style is, and also the tone of voice is very important to us. It's our way to communicate. It has to be not too funny, but ironic, or how to say, uh, not not to uh, to take us too seriously, and to um, to yeah, to tell uh, people or interest persons who are interested in this region or guests come here to visit this region to tell them in a fresh and light way style uh, yeah this region because yeah we also think yeah life is too serious uh, so maybe <laughs> if you are on vacation you can uh, you can uh, take it um, more easy <laughs> and if you are interested in buying the guides do visit monaco's own shop in murano or you can buy it online on francelab.com Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Adam Heaton. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpandmonaco.com. And we'll be back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. And of course, you can always listen again at monaco.com and subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. Danny L. Harlan and DJ Danny on a mountain. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. It's goodbye from me. Je lis sur tes lèvres et je sais tout.